The following lesson is brought to you by The Church of Christ on McDermott Road. Most Holy Father, we are incredibly thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for the Spirit, Your Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who has inspired these writers to write down these truths that we might understand Your mind, that we might be instructed by You, that we might know Your will. Father, help us to be spiritual people. Help us, Father, to walk in the Spirit and not by the flesh. Father, we are incredibly thankful that You have revealed Yourself to us, not only through Your Word, but most importantly through Jesus and through His cross, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, Father. And it's in His resurrection and in our coming resurrection because of Him that we hope. Father, we pray that You help us to have the courage to stand on this good news to keep in step with this good news and to spread this good news through the world. Father, it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's go ahead and jump right in. First question on your worksheet. If you don't have one, there's one by either door. Um, okay, so I wrote some of the words we've talked about in our series on the board. Soul, heart, mind, spirit, body, flesh. Okay, we've talked about all of these words, kind of looked at some of them in the Hebrew, some of them in the Greek. Um, first question on the worksheet is this. Now, listen, it's a tricky question, okay? Which aspect, and remember that's probably a better word than part, which aspect of the human existence is the most important? Okay, so, so I have a soul. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay, the part of you that lives forever or dies forever. Okay. What else? Okay. Here's my answer, and this is the, uh, this is what I believe from studying, and you can come to your own conclusion. But my understanding is that there isn't a most important aspect to the human existence. That, that let, let me put it this way. Remember the diamond analogy that we talked about last week? If I asked you what aspect of a diamond is the most important, is it its shape? Is it its transparency? Is it its hardness? Is it the fact that from the side it looks like a triangle or from the top it looks like a circle? Wh which aspect of a diamond is the most important? It, 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 well, yeah, the color, yeah, as far as the price is concerned, right, the color, yeah, color and clarity, I know the, the C's, you know, but uh, the carrots, um, I, I know, but, but do you see what I'm saying? That, that all of those are simply aspects of what it is. They make it what it is. It, you can't really answer what is the most important, it's just aspects of what it is. And I think that as we look through the Bible, again, when we talk about soul, that means your life your being, your existence, and, and most specifically, your, your organic life, right? Your organic life. And, and so, is your soul most important? Well, Jesus says you have to be willing to give up your soul, right? Well, wait, what does he mean by that? He means you've got to be willing to die, right? When you die, you, you give up your life. But in Christ, if you give up your life for him, you will live again and live eternally. You'll have an eternal zoe. You'll have an eternal life. So, soul... That's an important aspect of being a human because it's your being, right? Um, heart. But that, isn't it the part that, that, we're, that we absolutely forgot to say is the soul. Well, 
I mean, all the other ones are part of that. It's it's a makeup of the human being. Yeah. But it's only the soul that the Bible, in my understanding, talks about the Lord's favor. But again, when you die, you lose your soul. And so Jesus says you have to be willing to lose your soul, your psuche, for for him, your life. And so, and so, yes, Jesus is concerned about your life. And and but but our hope, our hope is not in a spirit disembodied state, right? Our hope is in the resurrection, right? In the resurrection. That's what our hope is in. It's not in, it's possible to live in a disembodied spirit separated from the body state, but what does Paul call that in 2 Corinthians 5? You remember? Naked, Naked, right? It's a naked state. And Paul says, that's that's not what we're longing for. We don't want to be unclothed. We want to be further clothed, right? Um, So your soul is your existence. And it, it, you're right, Freddie, it includes all of these things. And so you, you can't really separate your soul as if it's some part of you. It, it is you. And a better way to put it, like we've said, is you are a soul. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You are a being. You are a living being. You are a living organic being. But what makes you special is what? What makes you a special living being? It isn't your soul. Because even animals are living souls, right? They're living, in the Hebrew, nefesh, right? They are living creatures. What makes you a special soul? Your image bearers of God. Your image bearers of God. So that is, and we can even talk about that as your vocation, right? That's your job, is to reflect the glory of God and to live as God's royal image bearers in the world. So... That's another aspect of being human. And if you want to say something is most important, I might say that is the most important. Um, But soul is really just the fact that you are a being. When we talk about heart, that's the aspect of humanity that says you are a feeling. And in the Old Testament, it would be thinking as well, right? You're a feeling, you're you're an emotional being, you're a thinking heart and mind. As we get to the Greek, it kind of splits those out just a little bit. But again, your heart and your mind in this metaphorical sense aren't different parts of you. They're just different aspects of you. They are your humanity from two different vantage points. One is you're a thinking being and one is you're a feeling being. You're an emotional being. Which is more important? Neither one. They're both important, right? They're both important aspects of being human that you have You have the capacity to think, you have the capacity to feel. When we talk about spirit, right, we're talking about the invisible, your invisible presence that animates you. So when we say you are a heart being, that means you're a feeling being, you're a mind being, a thinking being, you're a spirit being, that means you're an animated being, you have animation, you're alive, you can move, right? Um, so you, you are all of those things. It's like, well, what part of that is most important? It's the, the Bible doesn't put it that way. It doesn't, it doesn't say, well, this part's more important than that part. It's just, this is what it is to be a human. You're a, you're a logical and emotional and animated being. You also are a being that has a, a body, right? You have a physical body. The Greek word is soma, right? You have a body. And in your body dwells your spirit that animates you. And that's where all your thinking and your feeling happens. Now, we also talked about flesh, and, and 
from this aspect, from this vantage point, what's it talking about when it says you are a being of flesh? Okay, kind of, yeah, it could talk about that you have a physical existence, but what connotation does flesh have? Corruptible, right? Corruptible. You are, you're weak, okay? It's talking about your bodily existence from the vantage point of your weakness, both physically in that you get sick and you die, and morally, right? Most often morally. So when Paul talks about your flesh, it's not saying you're destined to sin. It doesn't say you have to sin, but it's saying that you do sin. Why? Because of your, your corruptibility, because of your moral weakness, right? We sin because our flesh is weak, because we are a weak being. Now, Jesus came in the flesh, both literally, he had skin, and metaphorically, right? He came in all of our weakness, yet because he walked in the power of the Spirit of God, he was perfect, right? Sinless. He overcame the flesh. He overcame the weakness of the flesh. Okay, so I say all that to say that these are biblical aspects of the human existence. They're biblical vantage points of being a human being. Where we tend to go wrong is we, I think, that we tend to split things up and we, tr we tend to uh, think about things in, in a way that puts our different aspects at odds with each other, okay? We tend to think of it uh, uh, in ways that elevates one thing above another thing. Like uh, sin. What's that? Like sin. Yeah, yeah. Categorize one is more dangerous than the other. Right. Right, yeah, that's right. We, we categorize sin. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very good. So, and in fact... Well, we'll get to that on number four, I guess. But, but just kind of keep that in mind, that the more I look at the Bible, the more I think that any time the Bible kind of hashes out the different aspects of humanity, it does so in a way to say this is a total package. And the more unified you live and the more unified you see yourself, the better off you will be as a human being. It's when we start to think that we can do something with our mind and it doesn't involve our body or our spirit or our heart, that's when we get into trouble, isn't it? To say, well, that's just, that's just this. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. You don't get to just engage your body in something without engaging your heart and your mind in it, right? Everything is involved. And we trick ourselves into thinking that we can do something with one aspect of us and keep the rest of us clean, right? Keep the rest of us out of it. And the Pharisees kind of thought that way, right? Whitewashed tombs, right? So the more we realize that we really are a unified being, the better I think we'll understand our existence and what's wrong with us, right? We'll understand our weakness. This is, this is what needs to be overcome, is our fleshly nature. Um, we even talked about soul last week. In fact, this leads us to number two. What are the opposites of being a spiritual person? Soulish, right? What was the, the ESV translated that? I think one of the best ways, natural, right? Natural. Because soul is, you're a, you're a being. You are an organic being. And so if you are a soulish person, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, then you are operating in your natural way of being. You're, you're operating out of your, your natural inclinations, uh, your own human worldly wisdom. Doesn't mean that you're not thinking, doesn't mean that you're not feeling. It just means that you're operating 
And the one translation puts it without the spirit, right? It's the opposite of spiritual is natural, okay? So or soulish. Soulish, yes. So, so, yeah, good. So you, those of you that weren't here last week, I know that sounds really confusing. Soulish, I know that's not a real word. Um, the, the actual word is psu, it's psukikos. Psukikos, okay? So su, psukik, psuke is the word for soul, and so it's the adjective verb of, or adjective form of that word, Psukikas, okay? So it's soulish, the root being soul. So it's natural. You are, the, and, and Paul is really talking about human philosophers, right? He's talking about human teachers, and they don't understand the things of the Spirit of God because they're operating just in their natural worldly wisdom. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, then he makes a different comparison. And he says, I wish I could address you as spiritual, but instead you are what? Carnal, Carnal yes, yeah. So, root word being sarks, right? Flesh. So the other, the opposite of spiritual there is fleshly, right? So you're either natural, that's one opposite of spiritual, and the other opposite of spiritual is fleshly. So one would be just to, just to say that you're operating out of your natural inclinations, your natural knowledge, your natural wisdom. There's no necessarily sinful aspect to that. It's just limited, right? You, you are limited in what you know and what you can think about by what's already inside of you, right? And human philosophers and human teachers are limited by what they experience and what they see and understand. And Paul says, they can't know the mind of God unless they have the Spirit of God, right? Um, and only the apostles and the prophets have the Spirit of God in the sense that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then he says, listen, church, I wish I could address you as spiritual, but you're not. You're fleshly. Now, it doesn't mean you have skin on your bones, right? What does he mean? You're carnal, right? You're operating in your weakness. You're, yeah, you're operating out of your, your natural moral weakness. You're not walking by the power. See, and, and I think that there's a lot of truth to that, that when Paul talks about spiritual, he's saying the spirit of God. In fact, I may start, I kind of hinted this last week, and the more I thought about it this week, I may start capitalizing spiritual. When I write spiritual, I may capitalize spiritual because I think when Paul talks about spiritual, He's talking about it in a different way than we tend to t think about it. I mean, you could walk out on the street and you find somebody and they, you say, are you a religious person? And they say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, I'm spiritual right? They mean I'm not connected to any organized religion. I just kind of connect with, you know, whatever. Uh, but when Paul talks about spiritual, he's talking about the spirit of God that has come to the apostles and the gospel has been preached. And then as the gospel is obeyed and the spirit of God fills the church, like the temple is filled with the presence, the animating, life-giving presence of the Spirit, and these people are taught and formed and shaped by the Spirit of God. So he's not talking about spirit in this sense, the human spirit. When he talks about spiritual, he's talking about, he's talking about God's Spirit. In fact, if you look at uh, Jude, I always want to say chapter 1. I know it doesn't have chapters, but Jude verses 18 and 19. Jude says this, uh, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these 
who cause divisions, worldly people, psukikas, soulish, natural people, worldly people, devoid of the spirit, devoid of the spirit. So that's the opposite of spiritual is devoid of the spirit. Okay. So when Paul talks about a spiritual person, it is someone who has and is walking by, as he says in Galatians 5, is walking by God's spirit, not your own spirit. Your own spirit needs to be replaced by God's spirit, right? Our own spirit is the kind of the animation that kind of takes us here and there, and it's our own inclination and our own, it's kind of overlaps with heart and mind. Um, but, but when Paul talks about spiritual, he's talking about God's spirit, that you are a person who is being taught through, when we, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we tend to only think about it in like zap you kind of terms, right? But we talked about Ephesians chapter 5. How do you get filled up with the Spirit of God? Ephesians chapter 5. You remember? 19 through 21? He says, be filled by the Spirit. How? Look at it. Start in verse 19. Okay, yeah. How do you, how do you go about doing that? Yes. Yeah, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Making melody in your heart. Uh, yeah, exactly. To the, to the Lord with our heart. Giving thanks, verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you weren't here last week, the be filled with the Spirit is the imperative. That's the command. Be filled with the Spirit. And if you're like me and you read it and you're like, well, I don't, I mean, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, how do you get filled with the Spirit? Well, he tells us, and the rest are adverbial participles, addressing one another, making melody, the ing words, giving thanks, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in other words, the more we live as a disciple of Jesus, then the Spirit of God fills us up, right? And Ephesians is full of that. Go through Ephesians and read, and we're going to read a little bit more tonight, about how much Paul talks about the church being the place where God fills us up with his spirit, right? And so he prays, please, God, strengthen their hearts so that your son can dwell in them, right? So that you will dwell in them. So when we talk about spiritual, we're talking about the fact that God's spirit has taught us and I think one of the best words is strengthened us. Ephesians chapter 3, strengthened us because our primary problem, our primary problem is our weakness. We need strength, right? Romans chapter 7, Paul says, it's not that when I was living by the law that I didn't want to do good stuff or that I didn't want to not do bad stuff. I wanted to do what was right and I didn't want to sin. But to a certain degree... I almost didn't have a choice because of my weakness, right? Because the sin that dwelt in my flesh, right? And so that's our problem. Our problem is our weakness, the weakness of our flesh. And the only remedy to that is the Spirit of God. The Spirit strengthens our flesh, or not strengthens our flesh, it strengthens our inner man, right? Our heart, our mind, our spirit, so that we can overcome the flesh. Now, that doesn't mean... That it's just done, right? Okay, yes, I got the spirit. I don't have to worry about the flesh anymore. I mean, you can tell there's always this battle, right? And Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, you've got to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. And what does it, what does it look like? This is verse 4. 
or number four on your worksheet, I mean, what does it look like to be a spiritual person? It doesn't mean, you know, you're doing miracles or, I mean, that's not the way Paul talks about it. I mean, obviously the apostles did miracles to confirm that they really were God's, Jesus' apostles. But what does it look like to be a spiritual person? Galatians 5, 22, 23. The, the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's, that's the evidence that the Spirit is in you because you're, you're overcoming. You can't, you can't do that by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. But when God's Spirit strengthens you, you can. You can live a life that is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control for all people, right? And, and that's why, I mean, you, you think about the way that Jesus talks about his disciples and how people will know you're my disciples is you're going to live this kind of life that's evident that you're not, you're not walking in the weakness of your flesh before like you were before. Um, you're, able, you're able now to overcome that weakness, not by your own strength. This isn't, it isn't a pep talk, right? I mean, the gospel isn't a pep talk. It's not like just, just work really hard and do really good. It's the fact that you died and now you're, you're resurrected and the Spirit of God lives in you and He's strengthening you. And that if you will just do these things, if you'll live as a disciple of Jesus, and it's not an overnight thing, right? That's not what we're saying. We're saying that over time, as you live as a disciple and are matured, you can begin, at least begin, to walk in the strength of the Spirit. So, it sounds like in Ephesians 5, Paul may have started out being a little comical. He's not drunk with wine. Okay. But when you feel... Okay. So, of all of those things, and, and obviously it sounds like he's talking to Christians. Yeah. Because otherwise, the, you know, speaking to, to each other in songs and hymns and people that's not in... in Right. Body of Christ right. Doesn't do that. Right. Or you don't think that they do. That. Right. But all of those adjectives, you know, that, yes. that describe what we should be, yes. is what's supposed to help us. Because one would add, okay, you saying strength in the spirit. Mm -hmm. Right. How, right. How do I be filled with the spirit? Right. So he he's not just saying become a Christian and you'll get the spirit and right. then automatically right. these things happen. That's, that's not. That's, that's exactly right. There are things you have to do in order to walk by the Spirit, in order to be filled by the Spirit. And, and he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. But look at some of the other, uh, we talked about this a little bit, so we'll just review, but look at some of the other things in, in Ephesians 5 that he says, um, don't do this, but do this. Verse 15, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, see, not unwise, but wise. And then he says, Make the best use of the time. The days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? So he's saying, on the one hand, there is foolishness, and there is unwiseness, and there is drunkenness. Right? And you see how all those go together, right? You're just doing whatever you want to do, you know, just kind of living your life, enjoying yourself, you know, just being foolish, making dumb choices. And Paul says, enough, done doing that. We're done living that way. Now be wise and be understanding. Understand what the Lord's will is and be filled with the Spirit. And this is how you live that kind of life. You, you, you worship, right? You worship together and you sing together and to one another and to God and you submit to each other. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that, that that's how this spiritual life works? And so 
it's really completely ironic to me that we live in a culture where people say, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. When the New Testament says, listen, the way to be spiritual is to live in, in the community of Jesus followers, right? This is the only way to be spiritual is to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. And that's hard, isn't it? It's hard because I'm kind of messed up and kind of weird. And you think, man, I don't know if I can get along with Wes very well. And, and, you know, sometimes people may think that about you. I don't know. But, you know, I mean, but it's hard to get along with each other. And Jesus says, this is the way that it works because the spirit dwells in the community of people. I mean, just like, just like in Israel, God was dwelling with them in a tent. And now the Spirit of God is broken out of the tent. The temple veil has been torn and God's presence is with His people and we get to be that people. But if we disconnect ourselves from the body of Jesus, we disconnect ourselves from the Spirit of Jesus. And the only way, and don't we see that? I mean, haven't you experienced it? I mean, we all know people that have been in the church for 50 years and they're the grumpiest, rudest, you know, most hypocritical people. You know, we, we all know those kind of stories. But for every one of those, I know a thousand Christians that are literally the salt of the earth, right? The light of the world. And they didn't get to be that way by accident. They got to be that way by worshiping with, with God's people and submitting themselves to one another and listening to the apostles' teaching and really truly believing and embracing by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, that, and I mean, it, and it's just so ordinary. It is like, yeah, but I mean, just give me something cooler than, but it is cool, isn't it? To say my biggest problem is I'm weak. I want to do better. I want to love and I want to be filled with joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I want to be that kind of person. And that it happens here. It happens as we live as ordinary disciples of Jesus every single day. And we follow the teachings of the apostles, even the ones that are hard. Like when your brother sins against you, you go to them and talk to them, right? I mean, that kind of stuff. And we say, well, I don't want to do that. That doesn't work. It's like when we, when we say, I don't want to follow the teachings of Jesus, we're saying, exactly, I don't want to be spiritual. That's really what we're saying. Spirituality doesn't happen individually. It hap- I mean, it, it does. I mean, you can't, you can't say, well, it's just a corporate thing and I'll just show up and get filled by the Spirit. I and mean, that's not how it works. You can't, you can't just do it passively. It's an active thing, but it's an active thing that we do together. That's what Ephesians 4 is all about. Absolutely. It all, I mean, that's, exa- that's Paul's message over and over and over again. Ephesians 4, the body builds itself up together in love. Every ligament, every part, every part is necessary to build the body up. And the Spirit of God is that which gives its life. If the Spirit wasn't there, we'd be a country club, right? We'd just be dead. We, we could get together and we could have fun and we could talk to each other. But if the Spirit of God wasn't there, there wouldn't be life in you as an individual or us as a body. So the spirit has to be there and we have to be there. We have to be connected to the body of Jesus. And the more we do these things, Ephesians 5, 19 through 21, and, and that's not an exhaustive list. It's everything, right? Acts chapter two, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship and to prayers. And it's that kind of stuff. And Jesus continues to fill up his people with his spirit so that we are strengthened in our inner being and we, over time, are beginning to overcome the flesh. Now, 
we know that the flesh isn't going to be completely overcome until we get our new body, right? Until our flesh is done away with and we have a body that isn't corruptible, right? That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. An incorruptible body, an immortal body, a body that isn't flesh and blood. He says, flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean physical. That means weak. It means mortal. It means corruptible. It means all of the things that flesh means, right? And and he says, that kind of body won't inherit the kingdom of God. But you don't have to worry because when Jesus comes back, we're going to have this immortal body that will live forever and, and we will live, Peter calls it, the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. Right? Not only a right relationship with God, but rightness will finally be done with the weakness of our flesh. And isn't that what we're longing for? But even now, before Jesus comes back, we're already beginning to live that out, aren't we? And we see it, don't we? I mean, this is something that's been on my mind, and man, the time just gets away. Um, Say, Wes, have you stopped talking so much? Um, But, but, you know, I mean, we we live in in a culture now that says, I mean, everybody's just so sinful and wicked, and Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites, and that's not my experience. My exp- I mean, yeah, I mean, Christians make mistakes, right? And we're, we still have the weakness of our flesh and we're trying and we still mess up and that kind of stuff. But I see people getting better. I see people's lives being redeemed, don't you? I mean, haven't you experienced that? I mean, I, I'm glad I'm not who I was 20 years ago. I, I'm glad Jesus is changing my life and it's slow and I, sometimes I wish it was so much faster, but it, it's getting better. And, and I see people's lives getting better. I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and, and he lists off all of these sins, sexual immorality, and all these things. And he says, these kinds of people will not inherit the kingdom of God. But that's who you were. Such were you. But you've been washed, and you've been cleansed. And so to say Christians are no better than people on the world, they're not living any better. If they say they are, they're just liars and hypocrites, and they're just hiding the truth. I don't believe that. And not because Christians are better but because the Spirit of God dwells in the people of God. Because God gets the credit, and He's redeeming us, and He's strengthening us. If we're not getting better, then there's something wrong. There's a disconnect. We're not living in the Spirit. And and that's what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, 1 Corinthians 3, I wish I could address you as spiritual, but I can't. You're still fleshly. You're still walking in the flesh, but that's your choice. You don't have to do that. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is where it gets really good. I'm about to get really excited. No, I'm just kidding. I'm already excited. (laughs) Ephesians 4. Yeah, you're in big trouble now. Uh, Okay. Old humanity, new humanity. Okay. Um, And it's what we've already been talking about, but look at what he says in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the what? Gentiles. The Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, that, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? That he addresses and he says, don't live like Gentiles or literally don't live like the nations. But, but for Paul, I mean, that means the Gentiles. Now, that's interesting because what kind of people were the people at Ephesus? Gentiles. Gentiles. And now they're Christians. And he says, now he's using the word Gentile, not to say non-Jew, but to say non-people of God. Don't live like the non-people of God. Don't live like the nations. That's who you were. You were the nations. You were the Gentiles. Now you're God's people. 
Don't walk as the Gentiles do. Now look at what he says. This gets into number two. Um, in the futility of their minds. It says, I mean, man, just make a list under number two. Futility of their minds. It says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of the heart. They have become, here's a powerful word, callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second. Why? And I know that sounds, that sounds really harsh, unless you can't say that. Don't, I'm not saying it. Paul's saying it. So, you know, if you want to take it up with somebody, take it up with Paul. Um, but Paul's an apostle of Jesus. And, and so he's saying, listen, don't live like the nations because they don't understand, right? It's, it's not... It's not that he hated them, and it's not that he says, like, be mean to them or despise them. Nothing like that. I mean, he's talking about them. This is who you were. This is, this is who we all were. This is who everyone is. But don't, don't live like that anymore. Why? Because they don't understand. They, 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 don't, they don't see. They don't get it. Their, their hearts are hardened. Their eyes are darkened. They've become callous. What does that mean? Hard. Well, how do you develop a callus? Yeah, over time, right? Yeah, it just, your finger, I, I've tried to play the guitar a few times in my life and I've never gotten past the first few days where it hurts really bad, you know. I haven't developed the calluses. And that's the way sin does, right? I mean, when you do something bad, I remember um, I, I knew a counselor one time who said that he, he talked to and counseled a, a murderer who had killed multiple people. And he said that the man told him, the first time I murdered somebody, I mean, it, the person's face haunted me, and I couldn't sleep at night, and it was just awful. He said, but the more I did it, it didn't, it didn't even bother me anymore. Desensitized. And we, we, we've all experienced that, haven't we? I mean, this isn't just them. It's us. This is what's happened to all of us. Yeah, absolutely. The more we expose ourselves to worldliness and profanity and nudity and violence and all of that stuff, we just become callous where it doesn't bother us anymore. We lose the ability to feel. We lose the ability to be shocked. We lose the ability to be shamed. And it's not even shameful anymore. And, and I used to do that when I was a teenager. When I'd watch a movie uh, by myself or like with friends and then I'd want my parents to watch it, I'd be like, it's really good, Mom, Dad, you'll love this movie. It's really fantastic. And then I'd watch it with them and I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot that was in there. I, I must have gotten popcorn at that point. I, I don't remember that at all. I, I don't remember that. There, there, now that I think about it, I, I walked out halfway through. I never saw this movie. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, but I, I mean, the truth is I heard all of it. It just didn't bother me. And that's the problem, isn't it? And that's what we see. And it's, and it's, it's levels and it's degrees. Um, but the, the further we are away from Jesus and the further we are from what the Spirit has revealed, the more callous and the more darkened that we become. And we look at our world and, and we wonder sometimes, how, how, could, how could this happen? How could these things happen? And, and I mean, listen, we live in, I know we think, oh, things are getting so bad. But I mean, can you imagine living in, in Rome? I mean, I don't think most of us can even imagine that the pagan temples were orgy places where people would go to have all kinds of sexual encounters as, as forms of worship, um, where Roman men had 
um, a, a slave, a young slave mistress that they would, you know, enjoy, and then they would have a wife that they would procreate with, and then they would go down to the temple prostitutes. And they didn't, nobody even thought anything about it. And it's just life. It's just normal. I'm just, you know, I'm asking for fertility. I'm just asking for blessings. And they didn't think anything about it, but it was because of their darkened understanding, because of the hardness of their heart, because of the callous. And so it, it's like we read all through the Old Testament, this, the heart and the spirit and the mind were corrupt. They were defiled. And the more and more and more and more and more we defiled ourselves, the more we can't even see and can't, there's no way we could just figure it out for ourselves. We, we're, we're weak and we're flesh. And so Paul says, listen, you can't live that way. You, you can't. That's not the way we live. This isn't the way you learned Christ. Verse 20, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old, now here's here's interesting word, anthropos. Okay? What does that sound like? Anthropos. What's that? Anthropology. What is Anthropology. Okay, the study of man, right? Besides a store. I think it's also a store, right? Uh, uh, but I don't know anything about it. Uh, so anthropology is the study of man, right? It's the study of men and how civilizations have developed and those kind of things. And so he's saying mankind. Take off the old mankind, right? That's not the way you live anymore. Put off your old humanity. Put off your old humanity. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Become a different kind of human which this old humanity belongs to your former manner of life and it is corrupt through deceitful desires. What you thought you wanted, what your, your heart and your mind and your spirit longed for, it was wrong and it was deceiving you. And we've experienced that, haven't we? Every single person, every single human being, we've, we've experienced that. We thought if we just had this sexual experience, if we just had this job, if we just had a certain amount of money, if we just had whatever, then we'd be fulfilled and be happy and life would make sense and everything would kind of fall into place. And it's a lie, right? It's a lie. And we've been tricked. And Paul says, you can't, you can't live that anymore. You took off that old human, humanness. <laughs> Put off your old humanness. Now you can still, after you become a Christian, you can still try to live as an old human, right? You can still live in your old humanity and... Hebrews says, listen, you go on sinning, there's no more sacrifice for sins, right? You're going to get to a point where you can't even repent. I mean, you just, you can't live that way anymore. There's nothing new I can tell you. I mean, if you experience Jesus and you experience the spirit and you experience the gospel and then you go back to the old humanity, what, what am I going to tell you at that point? I mean, isn't it heartbreaking? What do I have to do? What, what? What can we say to you that's going to bring you back? You, you already know. You've already tasted and you've already seen. I don't know what I could tell you anymore. And that's the Hebrew writer's whole point. You go back to that life and there's, there's nothing more that we have to say. This is it. You know it. There's nothing more to be revealed. There's no more sacrifice coming. Jesus isn't going to come back and say, okay, wake up again. It's, it's not going to happen. There's going to be a final judgment and that's it. That, that's exactly, you'll be worse off than you were before if you had never even known. Okay, so, sorry, I got excited. Um, okay, so to put off the old humanity with your deceitful desires, verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, right? This is getting a renovation, right? The spirit of your mind, right? Again, we try to like 
stark lines in between. This is my mind. This is my spirit. This is my heart. But he says, the spirit of your mind, there's a renewal, right? You're getting a new one. It's just like, it's just like David prayed, create in me a clean heart and renew an upright spirit within me. And, and Paul says, listen, now you can take off in Jesus. You can take off that man that was buried in your baptism because that's what's supposed to happen, Romans 6, in your baptism. Take off the old humanity and put on the new humanity that you have in Jesus and be renewed in your mind and your spirit. And isn't this the whole point? I mean, isn't this what Jeremiah said? That, that this new covenant that God was going to make with his new people, they're going to get a new heart. And it's not going to be like, okay, I have to go do the law. I have to obey. I don't want to obey, but I have to obey. We experienced old humanity. And now we've experienced new humanity. And we want to do God's will from our heart. Not from our old heart, but from our new heart. But our, our new heart and our new spirit and our new mind only happen when we don't walk by the flesh and our weakness where we say, I'm, I'm done with my weak walking and I'm going to pray and I'm going to walk in and I'm going to be spiritual, spirit-filled, spirit-taught. And I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to strengthen me so that I have a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit and I want to do the will of God from my heart. Larry? That makes the flesh look different. And so when you, you educate your heart, mind, and spirit, Yes. Yes. You know, we, when you start having that faith, that no matter what happens, I'm going to react in a certain manner. Now, my flesh looks different. Yes. Before, I could sit around and listen to a bad tape. Mm-hmm. And then again, people that saw me listen to that bad joke. Yes. And then laughed. Now, now they're looking at me and going, he's just like all the rest of us. Yes. Yes. Okay. So now, the, the new nature. Yes. The, Yes. And he becomes he becomes appalled when people are yeah. saying things that yeah. are unright. Yeah. It it stings now, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean and that and, and, and I mean we've seen it, haven't we? And and sometimes I mean and I'll give you this. I mean I'll I'll give people this. That that sometimes we don't see the starkness if we've like me, grown up in the church and been around Christian people most of our lives. But in ministry I've seen people I, I, I think about all the time, my friend in Arkansas, he's gone now to be with the Lord, but he, he used to ride with the Hell's Angels. And I mean, he was, he was a guy that I walked into church the first time and saw him waiting on the table. He was a big old guy and had tattoos all over his arms, and big, gruff, you know, kind of looking guy. And, and he kind of intimidated me a little bit. But man, once I knew him and I knew his story, he said that his, his mom begged him to become a Christian for years and years and years and years and years. Begged him to just come to church with him, come to church with her on, on, on a Sunday. And one Sunday he did. And he became a Christian on that Sunday. And most stories don't work this way, I understand. But he said from that day on, he lost like 75% of his vocabulary. His vocabulary changed. His life changed. He became, he became an evangelist to people in prison. They started a correspondence course to the prisons, and hundreds of inmates heard the gospel because of the work that he did. I mean, and, and I know most times it doesn't happen overnight, but the stark contrast between the old humanity in that man and the new humanity, the humanity that now all of a sudden, because of Jesus and because of the Spirit of God, now profanity offended him. Nudity offended him. Violence offended him. Before it didn't. I mean, he was callous to those things. But in Jesus, it changes us, doesn't it? 
And, and we can get calloused again, and we can be darkened again, and we can be hard-hearted again. Paul says, put off the old humanity and live in the new humanity. And church, this is what bothers me, that it seems like we, we fight sometimes so hard against pharisaical stuff, you know, and I agree. I mean, we, we need to not be Pharisees and we need to not be um, moralists where we think Christianity is just about being moral. But, but sometimes we can swing to the opposite extreme, can't we? And I see that in the church sometimes. I see people, I see us like acting like sin is no big deal or saying, well, you know, it's just, it's just, no, Paul says, stop. We can't, you can't, you can't go back to that. And I know it's hard, but you got to be here. You got to be with God's people and you got to be doing everything within your power, not, not within your power, I'm wrong, within the spirit's power to put off the old man and to put on the new man. You've got to live as a new creation. Now, eventually, you will, you will literally be a new creation, right? You're, this body, this physical body, will die. And you'll be new, brand new, and not have to deal with the weakness of your flesh anymore. But right now, even, we begin to live out that new humanity. Now, we don't have time to get into this, um, but the rest, of, the rest of the book, this is exactly what he's talking about, isn't it? So he, he says, put on this new self, verse 24, created or new humanity, I like better, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness and put it, put it on. Start living this way. It doesn't mean, I know, it doesn't mean you're perfect and it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, right? And that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, start living it out. Start believing it, right? And that's, in fact, I, and this is, this is something I try to get across to people all the time. We, I think, we call ourselves sinners too much. Do we sin? Yeah, absolutely. Do I fall short? Absolutely. Am I still struggling? Absolutely. Do I still struggle with the flesh? Every single day. But in Jesus, you've been given a new identity, right? If you go around calling yourself an idiot all the time, you're probably going to be like an idiot, right? I mean, you're probably going to make some pretty idiotic choices. But you go around and you embrace a new identity, things are going to change. Jesus has given you a new identity, not that one that you've earned or that you deserve. Right. By grace, he's given you a new identity. He's given you his identity. And he says, I know you're not there yet, and I know your life is still broken and messed up, and I know it doesn't really look like it yet, but you go ahead and put on this new identity and this new life, and you begin to live out who you want to be. Live like the person you want to be, not like the person you have been or the person that you are even. Live like you want to be. In fact, I heard a story the other day, this this teacher started working with this group of kids that was way behind. They were kindergartners, no, no, maybe they were first graders. They were first graders and they were way behind and they weren't where they were supposed to be. And so she started at the beginning of the year, she said, I'm gonna start calling all of you scholars. So instead of saying Wes, she would have called me Scholar McAdams. And every day she would say, what's a scholar? And they would say, a scholar is somebody who lo loves to learn and is good at it. And she, so you're a scholar, you love to learn and you're good at it. And she said, by the end of the year, I'm gonna make you all third graders. You're gonna be third graders. Third graders, they know more and they can run faster. And, and so she started saying, you're gonna be third graders and you're scholars. And they started to embrace their new identity. And by the end of the year, every single one of them was where they were supposed to be in education. So it's powerful to embrace who you can be and who you should be, not by your own strength and by your own power. What Jesus is telling us through Paul here is different because the Spirit of God is literally living in us and strengthening us so that we can begin to start to live this out. And then he describes, what does that look like in a family? What does that look like with a husband and a wife? 
And what, what does that look like with a parent and a child? What does that look like with a master and his servant? And he even goes on to say that the, the master begins to serve his servant. Really, I would say that, that this was kind of the, the death nail in slavery for Christians that were embracing this new humanity because now we're beginning to live out what we were supposed to be all the way back in Genesis, right? It's, go, it's come full circle, right? Now in Jesus, exactly, it's a metamorphosis. We, we were a butterfly, we became a caterpillar. Now Jesus takes us into a cocoon and we become a butterfly again. And now we can begin to live out who we were, we were meant to be. And now we can begin to treat each other the way we were supposed to treat each other all along. And we can treat each other as image bearers of God because we've embraced our identity as image bearers of God. Sorry we went over. Y'all have a wonderful rest of the week. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit ccmcdermott.org.